0: well good morning again glad you guys are here this morning for those of you who are watching online with us this morning we're glad that you're joining with us that we are going to worship god through studying his word together if you have your bibles matthew 9 matthew 9 is where we're going to be at it seems astounding to say this um, because we're going to be looking at the same story for three weeks we looked at it two weeks ago we're going to look at it today, and we're going to look at it again in two weeks, for three weeks, because this story, these eight verses have so much in them, and they're really a turning point in the book of Matthew. If you if you want to follow along, um, also, you can go to mymcc.info, and there's a spot for sermon notes, and you can click on it. If you're a note taker, you can take notes there, and you can see all the Bible verses and quotes and all that kind of good stuff right in there. Matthew 9 is where we're going to be. These eight verses are a turning point in Jesus's ministry. It's really um, kind of a, a big point where the tension between Jesus and the religious leaders begins to explode out into the public. It's where the antagonism between Jesus and the religious leaders really begins to get going in this moment, and there's just so much going on. So two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus as one who has authority. And so if you have your Bibles... Um, Or if you're following along on the sermon notes, we're going to start in verse 1. It says this. I'm just going to read it all, and then we're going to chat. Getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over the sea and came to his own city, and they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes said to themselves, this fellow blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority, there's that word we talked about two weeks ago, on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up. Pick up your bed and go home. And he got up and went home. But when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and glorified God who had given such authority to men. There's that word again we talked about two weeks ago. Uh, If you haven't heard, if you weren't here a couple weeks ago, this is a story you maybe have been familiar with if you spent much time in church, maybe you're not. The other gospels, um, Mark and Luke, uh, tell us the story as well and they give us a little bit more to this picture that maybe you've heard before. Because this is a story of a paralyzed man who not just his friends, but his four friends pick him up on a pallet or a mat or a piece of lumber or something, and they carry him to Jesus. And when they come to the house, the house is so crowded with people that nobody can even get in the door. And so you remember the story? They climb up onto the roof of the house and they begin to dig out what is a thatched roof, they begin to dig out this thatch and, and to dig a hole into the, uh, the roof of this house. And then on ropes, they let this man down in front of Jesus. And there's a couple things that I want us to see in the story today. We're really going to talk about this man and this healing. Two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus' authority and the power that Jesus has. Next week, we're gonna, two weeks, in two weeks, we're going to talk about Jesus' deity. But I want to talk about the man today. The man Here's, here's a couple interesting things. Um, did you know that no passage or verse anywhere in the Bible seems to indicate that these friends were bringing Jesus or were bringing this man to Jesus to heal him? It's not there. When when we tell stories, when we tell Bible stories over and over again, we begin to paint pictures into things that aren't actually there. You know, like Jesus' birth is a great example. We've kind of told the story over and over again, and we kind of fill in color into the details that aren't said in Scripture. The story actually doesn't say that the four friends brought Jesus, brought the paralytic man to Jesus to heal him. In fact, the story seems to point to the exact opposite intention. Uh, Mark 2, you don't have to turn there, but let me read it to you. It says this in Mark 2. This is how Mark starts the story. He says, and many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. If you spend a lot of time reading through the Gospels, you'll see that there are times where Jesus is speaking, he's teaching. Think Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain, he's speaking, he's teaching. And then there are times where Jesus is healing, and, and we have stories of Jesus healing so many people, and, and, and people begin to bring every person that they can to Jesus because there's a healer in town. They don't know, most of the time, they don't know in the moment that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's God incarnate in that moment. They just know that there's this guy who's in town, and and, and Larry from down the street, Larry was blind, and he came and Jesus touched him or spit on him or spit in the mud. and sp- 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 There's no difference, right, if he spits in the mud and then rubs that on your face. He spit in your face. And so however that happens, and now Larry can see. And so you bring Billy Bob from down the street because Billy Bob walks funny. And so the, all you care about is that there's this healer in town. But that's not what's going on here. Jesus returns to his town, and he begins to teach. And the friends bring, G, bring their friend, the paralytic, near to Jesus so that they might hear him teach. In fact, the text says it right there. Did you see it in Matthew 9? It says this. And they brought him to a paralytic lying on a bed. And then what's it say in verse 2? It says, Seeing their faith, Jesus responded to their faith. Jesus responded to their hopes and dreams and passions and their heart in, in bringing this paralytic to him, And it says, Jesus said to the paralytic, you're healed. It doesn't. It says, take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. Seeing their faith, Jesus forgives sins. It's actually kind of even a weird thing. It, now we know, okay? If you believe as I believe that Jesus knows all things. Okay? Jesus God knows all things. Knows Jesus knows that w- when they bring that paralytic into the room, he knows exactly what's going to happen by the time the paralytic leaves the room. He knows every detail what's going to happen, right? But it seems the way the gospel writers present it to us that they want us to go on the emotional roller coaster in that moment of of seeing that Jesus seems to posit that if the religious leaders did not critique his forgiveness of sins, that Jesus wouldn't have healed the man. Because you see, do you see? He says, because of your faith, your sins are forgiven, right? But then he goes further down and he actually heals the man basically because the religious leaders lack of faith. It says this in verse 5. Well, we'll start in in verse 5. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. This is Jesus' purpose, that they might know he has authority to forgive sins, because Jesus knows, we're going to talk about later, his greatest need in that moment is for his sins to be forgiven. So that you would know that the son of God has uh, son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins, then he said to the paralytic, "Get up, pick up your bed, and go home." It's, a, it's an interesting story, and there's a couple things that I want you to see in the story. The, the first one is this is um this story doesn't happen without community. The story doesn't happen without four friends. The, the paralytic man is not dragging himself through the dirt of the, of the Middle East. He's not dragging himself down the streets among all the chaos, all the busyness, all the trampling. He's not dragging himself in front to see Jesus. What we see physically in this man is that he is incapable of carrying himself to the foot of the Savior. But there are four friends. Therefore, are four friends who love him enough, who know him enough, who walk with him enough that they can carry him to the Savior. Now, I, I, I have a suspicion that most of us in this room have no problem being the one carrying the paralyzed man. But By what I know about a lot of you guys, none of us have a problem with being the one who who gives of themselves, who sacrifices themselves to carry someone else, to be generous with your time and with your resources. We've seen it over and over and over again. Actually, I just had this thought. uh, I, I, didn't mention it to First Service, but I had a meeting with some people from, from Polk County this last week. Uh, because if you know, for the last five years, we've been doing this thing called Back to School Bash, and we, um, uh, we ask you to donate school supplies, and we throw this big party for all the students in Fall City. Literally, every single student in Fall City comes to this party that we throw in Fall City. And then, um, somewhere between four and six hundred Central students, um, are, are part of it over at Central. And we do, we, we, Bring all this stuff together, all these school supplies. We stuff backpacks. We fill the latte lobby with just carts and carts of school supplies. You've never seen something, mean, Ticonderoga pencils. I never knew Ticonderoga was such a big deal, but apparently if you're a teacher, it's like a thing, right? And so, so many pencils and pens and erasers and all these types of things. And, and actually, some of the people from the county came and they said, um, we, uh, we, we've been talking and, and we just don't feel right that you guys... Do the backpacks for Monmouth and Independence and Fall City, and the county does an event in Dallas. So could we buy all the backpacks and school supplies? Right? Because they've seen for five years, they've seen a group of people who've been so generous with what they have to love the community that we're a part of. I I doubt that many of us struggle with being the one willing to carry a struggling or broken friend to Jesus. But here's the struggle many of us have. Many of us struggle to acknowledge that we're actually the busted one laying on the mat. Can, can I give you a little secret? Can I, can I tell you a little a secret? Okay. Uh, uh, did you know every single person in this room, every single one of them, including you, is busted? Oh, man, let me tell you, let me t- I talk with some of you, okay? Um, <laughs> busted, right? No matter the car they drive, what their house looks like, the job they have, what their kids look like, every single one of us is busted. And yet, so many of us are trying to convince everybody else that we have not figured out and we have it together. And you know what it does? It makes us lonely. It makes us isolated and alone and anxious and fearful and angry. It makes us alone. The paralyzed man, in all of his brokenness, would have never sat at the foot of Jesus if he had not humbled himself enough to allow four friends to carry him. How humiliating is that? This is a grown man who has to roll onto a piece of wood. So that four friends, four peers, people probably he went to school with, could carry him through the streets, could parade his brokenness through the streets. It required great humility. And if we are going to experience the kind of community that God intends us to experience, what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, it's going to require humility. Because you know what? Like, let's just be honest. Like, there are just days you just can't carry yourself any further. There are days where just the the weight of this world and brokenness and disease and heartache is just too much to carry yourself any further. And there are days where every single one of us needs some friends who will carry us on that mat to Jesus. I I think we do this thing called Rooted. If you haven't heard about it, you'll hear more about it as weeks come forward because we're getting close to another round of it. April 19th so when it starts. You could, you could go to mymcc.info to get yourself registered, and you should do that. But I think one of the things that i found to be most profound, and it's not the intention of Rooted, but I think the one of the things that I've found most profound about Rooted when it goes the way it's intended to is that for a moment, for 10 weeks, people find out what it is like to be carried by others. They find out what it's like to be part of a true community where all of our brokenness, hidden and seen, is shared. And we carry one another to Jesus day after day in prayer, sometimes in very practical ways of serving one another. And we experience a kind of community that we have, we have, we have. We have convinced ourselves that we don't need. We, we as Americans, like in, in, in this like kind of post-Christian 21st century American West thing, like we really think that we like independence and freedom. But independence and freedom is leading you to isolation, loneliness, anxiety, anger, bitterness, frustration, hurt, and regret. And that if we are to be the kind of people that God calls us to be, it requires us to have the kind of humility that this paralyzed man would, that he would lay there on the mat, and he would allow them. Think about this. They're like, they carry him up the steps up under the roof, and they're like, hey, buddy, we got a plan. Do you have four friends that you'd let hang you down through a roof? <laughs> he lays on the mat. There's a, there's a great theologian and social critic his name's Mark Sayers. He's, a, he's an Australian, so he just sounds smart, which I don't know how they ended up with such a smart-sounding um, accent when they're just a bunch of criminals. But Mark Sayers, he actually says that his grandma came as a convict. Like, that, that, is, a, that is rough, that is rough uh, genetics that your grandma got deported to Australia. He says this. I have observed... That a mark of our modern post-Christian society is a view on identity that is born out of Marxism. You feel better about yourself already? A type of belief that says any form or label or restriction or demands on your freedom is oppressive and should be cast off. This has created a culture of transience. In every aspect of our lives that has unmoored our souls and left many of us adrift, alone, afraid, and anxious. The truth is that every single one of us is busted and broken. And that what it means to follow Jesus, part of what it means to follow Jesus is to be willing, yes, to carry the mat of another to Jesus and to carry your friend and to serve and to love. But sometimes it just simply means being honest enough with yourself to admit that today you can't. That the brokenness and the shame and the guilt and the regret and the hurt and the anger and the the loneliness and the anxiety is just too much. And allow yourself to be in a community where you can be honest with one another. So that on those days, whether in prayer or in very practical ways, brothers and sisters in Christ can carry you to the foot of Jesus. Because you see, that's all the friends are trying to do. I, I, I don't know what's going on with this dude, but he's teaching. And the words that he teaches has life. And when he speaks, things happen. When he says to the wind and the waves to cease, they do. They do. And when he says to the, to, 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 to the Roman centurion, when he says that your servant's been healed, he is. Like it just happens. And so you need to get yourself to the foot of Jesus and the paralytic's laying there going, I can't, I can't get myself there. And they pick him up and they, they carry him there. There's a, a verse in Genesis. You've probably heard it before. It's a great place to go when you want to understand what God intended for the way we're intended to live life. And it says this in Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Just hear that again. It is not good for the man to be alone. It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. The word there, helper, in, in Hebrew is, um, uh, we're not going to say it in the right Hebrew pronunciation because it's more fun to say it like you're from Alabama, so we're going to say it like we're from Alabama, okay? So the word we're going to say is azer. Doesn't that, sound like, doesn't that sound like some of the people, azer, a lot of people in the lobby out there, right? Okay? So here we go, okay? On the count of three, I'm going to count up, we're going to go one, two, three, and then you're going to say azer, okay? You ready? Here we go. You ready? Okay, here we go. One, two, three, four. Oh, there you go. You guys didn't sound very Alabama-ish, but we'll, we'll, we'll figure that out later. Um, I told someone else, if you want to talk like you're from the South, just don't move your mouth. Just open your mouth and then talk and you'll sound like you're from the South. And uh, So anyways, there you go. The food for thought for you. Um, the word azer is actually almost exclusively, we think of it as the woman, as a helper suitable, um, but the wor- word is actually almost exclusively used of God. Because, see, here's the thing. A helper is not subservient. A helper is filling a place where you are unable. And every single one of us have areas of our life where we are unable to carry ourselves. And God has given us this gift of this body, of this church, of this family, so that we might be helpers one to another. That we might carry one to another. And so this morning... I want you to see that in the story, the paralytic man only ends up at the foot of Jesus because he's willing to be honest with all the brokenness in his soul. And he allows his friends to carry him to Jesus. I fear that many of us are too willing to simply settle with the lives we have. C.S. Lewis said this. I I love this quote. You probably, you maybe have heard it before, but he says this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures. Now listen, listen to the way C.S. Lewis um, postures what we do in life. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. I want you to know this morning that there is life and there is freedom at the foot of Jesus. And for some of you, all that is waiting between you living this life of settling to sit in the dirt and the mud of this world is the humility to be honest with yourself and one with another. That scripture says that we might carry our burdens one with another so that we might come to the foot of Jesus and find life in him. John 5.4 says this, you refuse to come to me to have life. At the foot of Jesus is life and freedom and restoration. Here's the other thing that's interesting. Uh, Jesus sees in this man when he he speaks to him, he doesn't see what everybody else sees, but instead he sees this man's greatest need. Look at it again. It says this in verse 2. And and they brought him a paralytic lying on a bed. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to him, to the paralytic, take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. Now, now you know, the religious leaders freak out. They lose their mind, right? What? How could you do this? Because in Jewish thought, there's so much going on in here that we just don't even, even in three weeks, we won't have time to unpack all of it. But in Jewish thought, there was a way that a person could say, your sins are forgiven. If you violated the rules, for them, sin is a totally different, not totally different, but a largely different concept than we have in 21st century America. For them, sin was violating one of the 613 commands of the Old Testament. And if you violated one of the 613 commands of the Old Testament, you could come to the temple and you could bring your offering or you could buy an offering there and you could take it to a priest and you could say to the priest, this is my offering for this type of thing. I need, uh, you know, whatever sin I've committed, I need this offering. And you give it to the priest and the priest would take it and he would sacrifice it. And sometimes it'd be a burnt offering and sometimes it wouldn't be. And they would sacrifice this offering to the Lord. And then after it was all done, the blood was run from the from the calf or from the sheep or from the dove or whatever it was. And there was blood literally running off the mount of the temple. The, the priest would come back in garments that were soiled with the blood of the sacrifice. And he would say to you, by the blood of the lamb, your sins are forgiven. That didn't happen. Jesus stands there in house and he says, your sins, your sins are forgiven. They're gone. Uh, The the, the word in, in Hebrew is afimi. Um, I, I put it. If you do the notes thing, you'll see it. I put it in there um, from the actual translate, like the actual dictionary of Greek words. Um, here's an interesting thing: the definition "forgive" is actually the sixth variation of a way you could translate this word. The first one is this: "Have gone away." Your sins have gone away. Your brokenness has gone away. Your shame has gone away. Your regret has gone away. Your fear has gone away. Your anger has gone away. And by the word of Jesus, he's freed. By the word. You see, for this man... His paralysis in their culture was a symbol of due punishment that he or an ancestor deserved. He he didn't argue. Uh, Other people of their day didn't argue that the man was paralyzed, that it was unfair, that that it was an unkind world that he was paralyzed. In fact, they would look at him with disdain because they would say, you deserve this. You deserve the brokenness that's in your life. You deserve the regret and the shame, and you should never let go of that regret and shame because you are receiving the punishment, do you? And many of you have walked into this room believing the same lie. You deserve the regret. You deserve the shame. You deserve the bitterness. You deserve the heartache and the anger and the fear. You deserve it. You see, you see, the problem, though, is the gospel. The Bible says this, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those Who are in Christ Jesus. Let me say it again so that you hear this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. You know, you know what no means in the Greek? It means no. As none. There is no condemnation that Jesus, through the cross, that if you are in Christ, that if you are a follower and a believer in Jesus, that because of the cross, that God says to you, there is now no condemnation that the fear and the shame and the anger and the bitterness that causes you to hide, believing that you are unworthy or undeserving, that you deserve what you've received, that it is just punishment for your rebellion or for your stupidity or for your brokenness or for your parents or for generations before. Jesus says, there, Paul says in Romans, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Last thing that I want you to hear is this, and I think it's the thing that many of us need to hear in this room, is hear the words of Jesus to this man. He's just been carried across town on a mat, on a board. He's been lowered through as a spectacle in front of a crowd. He's been, he, he's, he's been set at the foot of this man. He's never met in Jesus. And look at the words that Jesus says. He says this, take courage. Son, take heart, my child. He, hear the tenderness in Jesus' words. Um, you, you've maybe heard, if you've been around church for a while, you've heard um, Jesus will use this term of God, Abba, right? And we talk about that it's kind of a, a colloquial word for daddy. It's, it's a very casual, very affectionate name for daddy. This is actually um, the, the same category of the word child, Jesus doesn't say, take heart, my descendant. Take heart, the one that I begat. He says, take heart, my son. Hear the affection in his voice. That for those who are in Christ Jesus, the call, the, the, the words of Jesus to you this morning are, take heart, my child. That the good news, the gospel, is that you are not marked or, or defined by the brokenness of your past, but you are marked and defined by the fact that you are his child, that you are his son, that you are his daughter. Take heart. Take heart, my child. You are mine. You are my dearly beloved Child, that because of the grace and the mercy of God and because of the cross, we have been called and adopted as sons and daughters. And the condemnation that you feel, the shame that you feel, the anger that you feel, the bitterness that you feel, isn't all an illusion. It's all a lie from Satan. Last really beautiful thing is, I think that what Jesus is doing when he heals the, 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 the paralyzed man is really nothing profound. We like to look at it because it's miraculous and it's amazing. But I think that moment, you know what Jesus is doing, is he's, just, he's pulling back the curtain of what it looks like for the fullness of the kingdom of God to come. He's pulling back the curtain of what it looks like for the fullness of God's presence to dwell amongst us. Take heart, my child. I have healed, forgiven, fixed, redeemed, and restored all that is broken in you. I pray this morning that God God might do the same for you. That he might for a moment pull back the curtain. That you might see the hope and the grace and the mercy of a God who calls you his very own child.